Today's text is Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see that speck in, that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. As Molly was reading, I just realized how funny it was that we read that text, like right after I'm talking about Park Day. We're like, all right, let's go hang out with each other, you hypocrites, and... Um, um, let, let's start here. So on Monday, this last Monday, I had breakfast with uh, Josh Miles and Daniel Alexander, the two guys who go here, uh, attending here at Redemption Peoria. And um, we honestly just sat in IHOP, and for about an hour and a half, um, I just laughed, man. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. Uh, Josh Miles, who leads our worship, was just telling stories, craziest stuff, craziest stuff. And I just laughed and laughed and laughed. And um, and that was good. It was so good. It felt, you know, when you laugh so hard that you feel like depleted. Um, it was like that kind of laugh. And that moving forward that night, we had our, our redemption community and um, we just played this game uh, where essentially you're doing some accents. And I just laughed and laughed and laughed. Um, so much so, I laughed so much that um, I went to bed that night. Like I felt like I've ran the Grand Canyon. I felt like that depleted. Like Oh my goodness, this is so nice. So my alarm, my alarm went off at 4.30 the next day and I still felt good when the alarm went off. So I was like, nope. And I just stayed like laid in bed. I was like, this just feels so good. I didn't want to move that uh, from that moment. Then I had meetings and it was all gone. But, <laughs> but uh, waking up that next day on Tuesday, I had to prepare to um, speak to uh, um, you know, a room full of millennials at GCU. And, and doing this, as I was um, prepping for this moment, what God had continued to lay on my heart is uh, the fact that statistically, most of them don't go to church. So um, for me, in this laughter of, of what the community of faith had brought me, being reminded that though I'm pastoring a church, I'm also a part of it. And it was so good for me just to be in that and hadn't laughed like that in, in a long time, years. Uh, and, and, and good. And then walking into a room, uh, trying to tell people who, for the most most part, have a lot more um, anguish and frustration and tears than they do laughter when it comes to the community of faith. And this isn't just millennials, right? But this is your friends and my friends and maybe family members who are frustrated with um, what they've experienced within the community of faith. And so here sits this kind of duality that when we, we talk about this moment or we talk about communities, we talk about redemption, Peoria, there's kind of a both and that sits there that, that for some of us at certain points, it's so good. It's so refreshing. It's so desperately needed. And at other points, we find um, extremely frustrating moments to, to be in existence. We know people who don't like what they've experienced. And so there's this battling. And what, what, what's amazing is scripture addresses that very idea to recognize there's a beauty in the community of faith, but over and over and over. And what I had to tell this group on Tuesday night was how chock full uh, scripture really is when it comes to our interacting with one another. Things that I've shared with you guys over and over and over again. The fact that the word one another appears a hundred times. Uh, uh, the word you, Y-O-U is plural uh, in, in the Greek, 95% of the uh, time in the New Testament. Like we see this, we're, we're told to interact and how to interact. And, and that's important. And, and this morning we're going to address that. And it's important as we go into our text, we remember our worldview. Okay. 
So this is just to the Christians very quickly. Like, I, I need you as Christians to remember what you believe the true story of the world is in that when God made all things good, there's perfect harmony. But you don't have to be a theologian to recognize as soon as sin enters the world, Adam's pointing his fingers at Eve and God, Eve's pointing at creation. And, 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 and there's this dissonance between people immediately. Now, what we, we seem to forget in the story, in our biblical worldview, as soon as creation is done in Genesis 1 and 2, and then the fall is complete in Genesis 3, we get this long story of just people, just people over and over and over. And I don't think it's a coincidence that the first story we get is a brother killing a brother. Like the very first account, the repercussions of sin is the fact that there is, again, dissonance between people. And so our propensity, because of Genesis 3, our, our, our motive, our, our moving towards, our, our actions are, are always going to be towards this, without even knowing it, not hatred maybe, but a, a dislike, a pushing against, a separation of. I mean, man, if we could just address the racism thing in, in, in the room, the fact that like um, what America has done and what we're seeing bubble over is just that the law has been able to, um, has been able to suppress people's feelings. They've made it um, illegal to do certain things they want to do to people of another race. That's all that's happened. And now what's happening is there's this bubbling over of, no, they're still doing it. They're just getting away with it. So, so as we see this and as we wrestle with this, what's phenomenal about Scripture is Scripture pushes against that thing. So what we've arrived, if you're, you're new uh, uh, to this in the last couple of weeks, as we come to the, on the mount, we recognize something. That what Jesus is doing is he's addressing the fact that currently we live in a time and an era, uh, quote, an age, as the Bible calls it, where the kingdom of darkness is ruling. But... Jesus brings a different kingdom and shows us what that kingdom looks like. And so as we see this play out, we get to this morning, this is the beauty of it all. This is why I say all this. We get to very practically learn how to push against the curse. We get to very practically learn what it means as Christians to say, I know how I feel. I know what I immediately go to. I know where my flesh would have went, but I'm going to address how we go, or Jesus is going to talk about how we go about pushing against what took place in Genesis 3. It's awesome. It's awesome. Now, um, uh, I, a lot of you guys are familiar with this text. Uh, for the most part, this is um, your agnostic buddy or whoever um, tends to quote some of these verses, and some of these verses are com- taken completely out of context. So what I want to do, I think the best way for us to fully understand this text is I want to actually work it backwards, okay? So I'm going to read verse 6, explain verse 6, and I'm going to work it backwards. Now, I would argue verses 1 through 5 are the way that Christians are to deal with believers, and verse 6 is how the way Christians are to deal with unbelievers. So here's what I mean. Let's start in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Okay, so just address very quickly. The Bible isn't outright just calling anyone who's not a Christian a dog and a pig. Um, the, The point is Jesus is setting up this analogous language to show how big the separation is of things that are holy and things that are not of holy. And and the obvious nature is you don't take a $100,000 pearl necklace and throw it with the pigs. The pigs don't care about pearl necklaces. And in the same way, if we're going to push against the curse, the first thing we can recognize is as Christians, our job is not to try to uh, uh, apply Christian morality on to non-Christians. 
So, so when we try to take the process of sanctification and address it and put it on to non-believers, this is, this is uh, uh, completely lost to the non-believer. Now, I'm not saying apologetically you should not continue to engage with non-believers, and you continue, but if you try to apply your ethic to them, that, that's foolish. That's foolish. They're going to trample that on the ground. I, I mean, just firsthand. So, man, eight years ago, um, I don't know if you know, but I was a street preacher first. Um, so I would go to Mill Avenue, and, and I had a team that would go with me. We'd go to Mill Avenue, and, and I would be that dude. I wouldn't be some of the dudes you're thinking of. I'm not that guy. But um, I, would, I would go, and, and we would begin to engage with certain people on Mill Avenue. And inevitably, you would find somebody who was just looking to argue. Now, when they're looking to argue, I think very practically what Jesus is getting at is if they're looking to argue, they're not, they're not like at least having a conversation with you, just stop. Stop. Like that, that right there is, is taking the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of sanctification, the beauty of what is holy, and throwing it on the ground. They don't care about those things. Your motives, your actions, your purposes are completely different. And so first things first, dealing with the unbelievers that we're starting with, with, with verse 6 is, guys, process that well. Process that well, how we deal with, these, with, with unbelievers. Um, and if you're an unbeliever in here, again, the goal is not to call you a, a pig or um, a dog. That's not at all, I don't I think, what Jesus is getting at. Okay, so let's read verses 1 through 5. And um, that's where we're going to spend uh, most of our time. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And the, again, like I said, we're going to work this backwards. This is what it says. Do not judge that you... Uh, be not judged, or I'm sorry, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So before we get continue to read, just if you can sit in that for a second, like just listen to what, what that sis said, verses one and two. The measure that you use will be measured against you. If you judge, you'll be judged. Don't try to wiggle out of that. Just sit in it for a second. You're gonna stand before Jesus and the way you judged, you'll be judged. Okay, we're going to spend a, a good portion of time at the end of our, our time together talking about that. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So now we are going to talk about what it means to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Just so you know, every time you see the word brother, I try to tell you this when, when it comes, it's, gender, it's not gender specific, it's, it's neutral, it's just this idea of brothers and sisters, and the same way you use, we use the word man uh, and when, when talking about man was created. It's a very uh, uh, gender neutral term. So here, here's what I want you to see. Verse 5 again. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your eye, let's work this backwards, and then you will see clearly clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, so for verses one through five, what we're going to get at, what Jesus is going to consummate is whatever we're going to talk about, judgment, specks and eyes, all those different things. It's for the purpose of restoration. You see that? So, so here, listen to what he's saying here. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, so whatever we're going to do, whatever we're going to talk about in judgment, whatever he's talked about previous up to this point, it's been for the purposes of restoration, true restoration, right? So nobody ultimately wants the lifeguard who can't swim. So, so what, what, they're, what they're trying to get at, what Jesus is going to get at is, hey, listen, let, let's get this guy, teach him how to swim so that we, he can help other people when they don't know how to swim. So it's the purpose of doing something. Now, as we move on, let's read verses 3 and 4. 
Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? I've heard it said, um, and, and uh, some uh, a sermon I actually listened to probably a year ago was talking about uh, this idea. And they had talked about actually what's happening is both people have a speck in their eye. But when you have a speck in your eye, it just looks like a log. Um, and I just don't think that's true at all. As a matter of fact, it's two different words. Um, one meaning like, the speck meaning like when you break a branch, it doesn't mean just a piece of sawdust, but if you break a branch and there's pieces that fall when you break that branch, it's like one of those pieces is in your eye. And then literally for, for this pole idea, it's, it's literally like a pole, um, like a pillar of like how you build houses uh, with a, a cross beam. And so here in this moment, Jesus is saying, you've got a cross beam in your eye, like a telephone pole in your eye. They've got a speck, but you're trying to get at that, that speck. Now, what I want you to notice and what's interesting, I think Jesus does intentionally is both the speck and the pole are of the same substance. Meaning, both, both here, you have this pole in your eye. You're looking at someone with, with uh, if we will use sawdust, fine, a, a speck of sawdust in their eye. You're picking that out. The reality is, you both have an issue of the same substance. So let me just explain that a little further. This is what Kent Hughes says. We find it's so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin, but we look at, our, at, our, um, I'm sorry, at ours through the wrong end of a telescope. We easily spot a speck of phoniness in another because we have a log jam of it in our own lives. Wrath towards the speck in someone else's life may come from the suppressed guilt over the same mass of sin in our own lives. So let me give you some uh, examples of what this has looked like, at least for me. I've seen women in the church look at um, even my wife very early on. Um, when she first started coming to church, but just women in the church, a woman comes in showing a ton of cleavage, not dressed properly. And so she comes into the room and, and here's what happens. The older women immediately start judging that younger woman. How, why should she wear that? Maybe they're not outwardly saying that, but what's going on really is they're, they're insecure. They're jealous that their husband might look right They're They're dealing with this insecurity of their own. They're struggling with their own insecurity and they are portraying or, or, or putting this on that woman. Now, the reality is she walks in and, and she's not thinking through that. She, let's just say she's not a believer. She walks in the culture that she breathes. You work with the same type of people. She's not processing that, but you have this sin. You have this moment. And, and I would argue your sin is a pull, man. It's a pull. You're, you're dealing with a, a far bigger issue than this. A great example just personally is like my own, my wife. So I get so upset when Candace um, goes to the store and buys food for our family, keep in mind, buys food for our family. And I'm like, you spent how much? And then I just kind of willingly just go to Home Depot and spend as much as I want, right? She's buying food for our family. And I'm upset, but I can buy nails. You understand? So, so I, in this moment, the reason is I'm upset is because I'm worried about money. I'm worried about money, and so here I'm, I'm, I'm putting that on. And this is, if we could just like live in the political tension that we have right now, this is the pot calling the, the kennel black constantly with these debates. You're lying, you're lying. I'm sitting there thinking, who are you talking about right now? Like yourself? Like this is like, both, like you know what I mean? And so here it is. Now, um, none sh- shows the, the, the picture of this than uh, the story of the prodigal son in the Gospel of Luke. So if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, here sits um, a, a man with two sons, an older son and a younger son. And the younger son basically comes to his father and says, hey, I know you're going to give us an inheritance 50-50. I want my inheritance now. He's like a 19-year-old kid, comes up to him, says, I want my inheritance now. The father's really remorseful about this, but gives him his inheritance. The younger brother goes away and acts like a moron. 
He, with prostitutes, he gambles it away. He, he, he's a glut. He just get, gives it all away. He's just foolish with all that money. And, and one day he wakes up next to the pigs and he goes, what am I doing with my life? At least in my father's house, I can go back as a servant. So he goes back to the house. Now keep in mind, this dude has issues. He has sin. Now in having sin, he comes back to his father's house and, and the, the, the father, if you don't know the story, throws this party and the older brother is upset now. And so the older brother, I think Jesus in this moment would say, he's got a pole in his eye. He's got his own sinful things in this moment because his older brother is upset by the fact that he has been here. Now listen, just listen to the church language. I've been here. I've been faithful, but I didn't get that. And so, so here is the older brother. He has sin and he's pointing out other people's sin. It's almost as if to say, um, I feel better about what I have because you have it. Sad. It's sad. Now, he, Jesus, of course, isn't done uh, um, at this because I think the beauty of, um, of, of the way all this plays out, um, he continues on in verses 1 and 2. But here's what I want to do. I want to stop um, and talk about that very idea because I don't want to just brush over and go, see, we've all got sin, and then there's these tensions that, that we live in. Um, I want to address this. So I want to give you insane amounts of Scripture right now, and I, what I believe three ways that you can stop doing that. You can stop doing that. What, what I mean by that is you can stop looking around the room. You can stop looking at people in your community. You can stop looking at other Christians and judging their motives and judging them. We're going to get at that word judgment in a second. So I think there's three ways that we can do this. So if you have your Bibles, let's read a ton of scripture together. How about that? Romans 14. We're also going to have it on the screen if you don't know. Um, and, and here's the first thing that I'm going to say as, as, as we read this. When we talk about judgment, when we get at what Jesus is talking about, a speck in your own eye or a, a speck in someone else's eye and a log in their own eye, let me just say this very pastorally to you, okay? You are not the standard. Do you understand? You are not the standard. Let's read all of Romans 14, all of it, the entire chapter. Now, I'm going to read, if you have a different version, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, so you might have to peek on the screen um, because I felt like the New Living Translation unearthed the beauty of without me trying to explain all these things um, because I feel like I would have uh, had to explain some of the, the, the Greek words in uh, the ESV. So this is what it says, all of Romans chapter 14. This is just from the jump, how it gets at us. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. <laughs> okay. Okay, so from the jump, just stop. Here's a new believer, and he's going, I don't feel like it's wrong to cuss. And you're going, no, 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 it's wrong to cuss. Now, in that moment, here's, what, here's all that Romans 14 is getting at. He truly doesn't believe it's wrong to cuss. Now, if you've been mature in your faith for a long time, more than likely, uh, uh, he's going to arrive to the place where God will eventually remove that. But if you try to indoctrinate or imply or put on him a conviction he doesn't have, you're doing it the wrong way. So just to be clear, I've got dudes in the Northwest, pastors who love Jesus, who cuss like sailors, and I would go, at the end of the day, I can't apply what I would say my language is. Now you sit there and you go, well, this, this, this. I'm just let me read it again. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it is all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. 
Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? That's a great line. Let's come back to that. Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall, and with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. So Jews, if you don't know the word kosher, right? They have certain things they can and cannot eat. Here are these Gentile believers coming in, people who eat whatever they want, and the Jews are applying or or, are putting on the Gentiles these certain rules. And Paul goes, no. And, And I love this. Listen to what he says. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? You're not their master. You know who's their master? Jesus is their master. You're not their master. So who are you to condemn someone else's servant? There's someone else's servant. They'll listen to the master. And then he goes on beautifully. Their their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. Now we're going to get at the the, the continuity of what it means to to do this well. But let's just start with this as the premise that we're not the standard. But he's not done. Verse 5, in the same way, Continue with another example. Some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do it to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to, uh, foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it is to honor the Lord. And if we die, it is to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ uh, died and rose again for this very purpose, to be Lord both of the living and of the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess the, the, uh, and give praise to God. So here it is again, if we could see some of the the beauty of, uh, of what he's laying out, you have a conviction. I shouldn't watch something. I shouldn't listen to something. I shouldn't wear something. And you take that conviction And you put it on another Christian, another believer who doesn't have that conviction. Hear me when I say this. As much as you believe they are wrong, you are wrong for doing that. I.e., you've got the plank. You've got the plank. It's in your eye. Now, you, you want to try to dance around this and say there are certain things that, that we need to address. Absolutely true. But let's not get there yet. That's points two and three. Let's not get there yet. Let's sit in Romans 14, you trying to apply your preference, preference because you're the standard. What's hilarious is some people have higher standards than you do. Candace and I, we just took our, our family to um, a Greek Orthodox monastery, and we walked around, and we saw all these things, and we talked, and here is this man, I kid you not, and he had clearly been fast, like, looks like he'd been fasting for a long time. Here he is, he, he, uh, he sits there, I mean, the epitome of like all that you would picture as a religious holy man, and he's talking to me, and every time he looks at Candace, he would look it down. So he's talking to me, talking to me, and he wouldn't even look at Candace. How many of you home, like, let's be straight. You, you dudes in, in the room not looking at women? Like, if that's the standard, and he's going to judge us on that, we're all done for. You tracking with me? You will never, there is no ultimate standard in this. No, you'll stand before Jesus, and he's the judge. You're not the judge. He's not done, though. Verse 12. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Like this chapter 7 in Matthew is about judgment. And so we're going to be rattled a little bit. Verse 13. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and I am convinced on the authority, on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is uh, distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for, uh, for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve you uh, too. So then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. We're not done. Verse 20, don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Just listen to that. Forget the eating. And this is like alcohol. This is movies. Don't tear apart the work of God. Man, have I seen this. Like if you've grown up in church, you've seen this. Some young buck rolls in, doesn't know the rules. God's doing something with him. He's moving on him. And you ruin the work of God because you, to, you apply your standard, which somehow magically is ultimate, on them. Do, do you hear that? Like the, the weight of what? Don't tear apart the work of God. That's, a, that's crazy. The work of God. Don't tear it apart. We're not done. Remember, all foods are acceptable, but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. And if it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else, it might cause another believer to stumble. So just what he's talking about, a great example of this is uh, a classic example is alcohol, right? So when we start a new community, if we start a community, I always make sure like, hey, let's ask uh, if anyone in the room is not okay with drinking. And if one person in the room dealt with alcohol in their past life or whatever it is, we say, hey, we're, not, we're going to be a community that doesn't have alcohol, okay? It's that simple, right? So, so what he's getting at, so that causes your brother to stumble, whether they're fruit or, or the day that you, all that, drinking, whatever, then, then don't do it. Verse 22, you may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Blessed are you if you, you decide, this is what I feel like is the right thing to do. I'm going to stay the path. People may judge me. This is what I'm going to do. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Man, just let Romans 4 punch you in the face. Let, let it just sit there and go, you hear me? Do you hear me calling at you right now? Okay, so the first one is you are not the standard. But let's get at the approach. Because I think ultimately what, what Jesus would not say is, hey, if you've got a brother or sister, don't like help them. Don't hold them accountable, right? This is, I mean, the epitome of the one another's is really coming alongside each other so we can grow. We see this actually in Galatians chapter 6, just verse 1. Brothers, if someone really is caught in a sin, the spiritual ones among you are the ones to restore him. Do it in a lowly and non-presumptuous spirit, considering yourself, uh, considering yourself lest you too be put to the test. Feel the weight Others are feeling, and thus you will fulfill Christ's teaching. So here's the second one, our, our approach. Now that we recognize you're not the standard, our second, as we go about this, here's what's crazy. Um, your sinful neighbor, who's not even a Christian, you are not better than. Like, just put you side by side, you might actually be worse than. But because of the grace of God, you're considered a saint. That's it. 
because Jesus has made you holy, you're holy. That's it. And this is true for believers as well. Okay? So, so what I think we need to address is our motive um, and what we're getting at, our approach in this is, is very simple. Uh, simply said, you're just as susceptible to fall into sin. So, so, so don't, don't, don't get up on your high horse and think you're awesome when you get them out of it. Uh, let me read something to you from a guy named Dallas Willard. I told you at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, I was reading this book uh, by him that talks about um, this uh, great book. But this is what he says. The ones who are restoring others must go about their work with the sure knowledge that they could very, uh, they could very do, I'm sorry, they could very well do the same thing that the person caught has done, or even worse. This totally removes any sense of self-righteousness or superiority, which, if it is present, will certainly make restoration impossible. To aid in this direction, the restorers are to endeavor to feel the weight or the burden that the one being restored feels as he or she stands trapped in their sin. So it's very hard to find somebody who's been down the deep, dark roads of sin, like who've walked out that path, who, who do everything that you couldn't imagine. It's very hard for that person to come into the community in faith and judge, if you notice. Like they're not sitting there going, wrong, 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 wrong. They've been down there and they go, you have no idea where I've been. I'm just thankful to be here. I mean, this is, this is, again, going to the Gospel of Luke. Here's this woman caught in adultery, and here is Jesus in his beauty. Like, she loves me much because she's been forgiven much. Which leads us to the last thing. If, if um, at, at the core level, we're not the standard, and then from that standard, our approach is one to recognize that at any moment we are susceptible to the very sin they are caught in, we have to get at why we're doing it. Why are we doing this? And, and I just want to... Um, say this again as pastorally as I can. If you are truly friends with someone, this sucks. It's hard. If you truly care in that moment, as you live out 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you see what they're going through, the sin that, that, that is wrapping them up, in no way are you glad about it. There's never been a moment where I've seen my wife work through a certain sinful tendency and go, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get you. No, because if you care, you're not taking that approach, which is a simple word. Man, as Christians, like we should, this is our word and it's like been stolen and hijacked. This is it, right? You ready for it? Love, love. Let's do, let's go. If you know your Bible, you know where I'm going. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses one through seven. So first, we're not the standard. Second, Our approach needs to be one of humility. And lastly, this should be our motive. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Again, these are on the NLT, so I apologize. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all gifts, uh, God's secret plans, and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others... I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor, even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Listen to that first verse. This is us, man. Because you don't love them, you're not friends with them. Like, like you're, you're tolerating them. But because you don't love them, you're tolerating them. But you don't care about them. You're tolerating them. So when you come to correct them, it's not from a place of love. And you sound like a gong or a a, a cymbal. You're just noise. You don't love. You could do all these great things. But without love, 
It's pointless. Now hear me. Hear me what, like, no, forget me. Listen to Paul. This is what he says. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It always uh, is always uh, hopeful and endures through every circumstance. That, hear me, that is our approach to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Love. I'm not going anywhere. I believe the best in you. I, can, I, I recognize that you're stuck in this and I care. If you don't have that, work it backwards. Hear me. If you don't have that, this is what you need to do. If you see someone in sin and you don't love them, you don't truly care about them, and don't mask this crap. Like, don't, don't sit there and go, well, I care about them so much. No. If you can, then take them to lunch. Get to know them. Be with them. Be their friends. Know their name. Know their family. Right? Continue to learn them. Go after their heart a little bit. And if that's the case, if you're not there, then don't worry about your, your uh, uh, approach because your approach is going to be all wrong. Furthermore, you've probably got a standard that you've set that is probably wrong. So all I'm saying is putting these verses in front of you, may laying us with huge parts of the New Testament to remind us when Jesus says we've got this log in our eye, it's most likely because we have set a standard that is not, well, is maybe godly for you, Romans 14. Furthermore, our approach is not one that we recognize we could be caught in that same sin. And lastly, we don't love. So let's finish our, our, our text together uh, in verses one and two. So we've worked this whole thing backwards. Let's finish out. Verses one and two. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is tough. So let's, let's uh, do this. So in those first two um, verses there, the word judge appears four times. As a matter of fact, the word judge is the mantra of chapter 7 of Matthew. Now, um, if you're new, I, I've tried to explain some things that are different in, in um, the biblical language that are different in English. And so I want to try to do that again because if we can catch this, um, it's actually extremely helpful. So here's what I mean. We don't have a lot of uh, words that we can uh, uh, say without adding another word with an ongoing verb. Meaning, when I go... Uh, when I say, hey, what did you do? I ran, okay? We talked about this. This past tense. I mean, you, you ran a lot, okay? But if I want to say currently, if I say, hey, what, what are you doing lately? Well, I'm running. I'm doing a lot of running. Well, you're not running right now, right? But you mean you're in the process in a time of your life where you're doing a lot of running. So there's ways in the English language that we can say certain statements that are an ongoing preface, an ongoing statements. And then there are definitive statements. I ran, okay? Now, I say all that because in Greek... There's four times that the word judge, this word comes from, uh, uh, in the Greek. Two of which refer to an ongoing sense, and two of which refer to a finality of it. Meaning this, what Jesus is getting at is if you continue to judge, there will be a moment where you'll be judged. If you are a judgmental person, you will be judged. The two times it refers to ongoing refers to us being the judge. The two times it refers to the finality of judgment, it refers to Jesus or God judging. Now, the reason this is important is because at the, at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus has been trying to do is not just behavior modification, not just you try to get it right so we can leave out of here and go, I shouldn't judge. No, he's saying, I can get you to a place where you won't be that kind of person. Do you understand the difference? So if I was to translate this very loosely, 
uh, from the Greek. I think ultimately this is what he was saying. This is Sean's translation. I'm not saying this is right at all, but if Eugene Peterson can do it, I can do it. This is what it says. Don't be a judgmental person or you will be judged. For if you want to judge people, you'll be judged. So at the core of what Jesus is doing is he's addressing our heart. It's not the the blatant look at the girl as she walks in with the cleavage. It's not the blatant guy who he's watched a certain movie and you're upset. That's not, that's an outward uh, uh, acting of what's going on. What Jesus is saying, if you're a judger, you're going to be judged. Do you understand the difference? As Christians, Jesus has changed our heart in such a way to move away from being a judger. That's what the gospel is doing. Now, some of us have just got saved, y'all. And so we're, we're still living out the old Sean. We're still playing this out. But the way it should work, and we're going to find this in the next four weeks as we get gritty into the Sermon on the Mount, as we cap this out, we're going to get to these places where we recognize that we will grow. We will begin to bear fruit in such a way that we resemble the gospel, i.e., we will slowly but surely stop being judgers. Judgment is not just something that takes place on a surface level, is it? At least uh, the, the, the latter two things of judgment, referring to Jesus, are a one-time act. But everything else Jesus is talking about is an ongoing thing. You have a judgmental spirit, if, if you will. You judge people. It's not just one person. That, I mean, that's a reflecting of what you just did. But, like, there's something wrong with your heart. So how do we as Christians work our way out of this? How do we work our way out of this? I think those three things are helpful, but let me just give you like the, the cap in. Like here's how we need to, to finish this, what we need to continue to do. It's hard, it's super hard to continue to judge people when you know your own sin. It's really hard, man, really hard. So here's what I would say. Keep your eyes on Jesus. If you would think of Jesus more, I promise you, if you would pray to Jesus more, just for the, the sake of knowing him, read the Bible to get to know Jesus more, I promise your reading will expand. You will read more. You will pray more. You're trying to behavior modify everything you're doing, but if you would take all that energy and focus it on just trying to know Jesus, those things will take care of themselves. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, what is Jesus doing? Let's check it out what Jesus is doing. Philippians chapter 2. This is where we're going to finish. I love this. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Don't be selfish. This is talking to us. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Just memorize that. Everyone in the room, just memorize that. If that wasn't enough, that's the answer to judgment. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take uh, an interest in others too. Here's the answer. You must have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, the name that, uh, uh, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Before Jesus leaves the earth, here he is, gathers his disciples around and melees them with red letters, if it's in your Bibles, chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. Just kills them with this stuff. Just preaching to them. 
And before he does this, he gathers them in a room. And he gets on his knees. I need you to hear what this just said. He was equal with God, but did not cling to that reality. God, the one who made the expanses. Like, the dude is all about everything. Here is God, the creator of all, gets on a knee, and he begins to wash their feet. Now, what's so crazy about this is, um, if you can imagine 12 construction workers coming in from a nice hard day of work, having them lift up their shirt, and you wash their belly with your hand is the epitome of what Jesus is doing. They're sweaty pot bellies. So here it is, okay? Track with me, uh, okay? So, so here he is, there's, there's washing this, like, that's gross. Here he is, and he's washing Andrew's feet. He's washing Thomas's feet. He gets to Peter. Peter, of course, has to say something. Shut up, Peter. Let's keep, okay? And so he keeps washing their feet, washing their feet. And just for poetic sense, let's just say he gets to the end, and here is Judas. Now, at this point, Jesus knows what Judas is going to do to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus knows in but five chapters, he's going to be praying. And Judas is going to lead a group of men to take him to be flogged, beaten, hair ripped out, crucified. And he gets on his knees and he washes Judas's feet. That's the standard. That's the standard. Once you're willing to wash the feet of someone who's going to kill you, you can judge people all you want. No, don't actually, even if you are there. I pray we would get there. I pray we would keep our eyes on Jesus. He's the standard. He's the motivation of love. You can read 1 Corinthians 13 all day. Just take the word love out and put in Jesus. You get it, okay? Let's pray. Father, thanks uh, so much for who you are, for your goodness, and for your grace. Um, we truly are grateful that there's just this moment where we get to stop and see very practically what it means to push against the curse. We recognize that um, this text is before us, and it's meant to rattle us a little bit, right? Like if our heart leans towards judgmentalness, um, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We need to sanctify. Uh, we need to go through the process of sanctification through your power, and um, this is not something we can do on our own. Our proclivity um, is going to be one of judgments. We're going to lean into our old selves. But through your power, you can change our hearts. We're grateful for that. We need that really bad. Help us see you, Jesus. Help us remember you live this out. You're laying out a standard by which you can bring us to because you fulfilled it. Thank you so much for that. May we love our enemies well. May we see our brothers and sisters through the lens of love, through the lens of the fact that we can fall at any moment and the fact that we are not the standard, but you are their master. We are not their master. May we come alongside our brothers and sisters and love them and encourage them and continue to work with you in what you're doing to sanctify them, God, in that beautiful process. But may we never be the judge. You are the judge. Thank you so much for that. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.